to start today with having you take a deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. I'm David Robertson. And I'm Chris Connor. And as you listen to our voices, I want you to scan down your body and feel a sense of well-being because you're listening to the Religious Studies Project. Today, our podcast is on mindfulness. So just close your eyes and enjoy. Anyone who spends any time online or on social media these days probably hasn't managed to avoid adverts for different mindfulness applications and mindfulness courses that one can go on. And mindfulness seems to be a buzzword in all manner of business, economics, but also throughout various religious groups, religion-related groups. Um, but what on earth is mindfulness? Is it religious? Is it secular? Is it connected to Buddhism in some way? What are its Buddhist origins? Why does it matter? Someone who's much better equipped to answer these questions than I am is Vila Huskavl of the University of Helsinki. I hope I've pronounced that approximately right. I had it a moment ago. I was a PhD student here in study of religions with research interests in contemporary mindfulness practices, Buddhist meditation, Buddhist modernism, and so on. And he's also spent a year working at SOAS, the University of London, working there um, on, on his dissertation topic. He's got a number of publications in the area on Buddhism in Finland, and one in Temenos, the Nordic Journal of Comparative Religion entitled On the Buddhist Roots of Contemporary Non-Religious Mindfulness Practice, Moving Beyond Sectarian and Essentialist Approaches. And we'll link to that on the website. And he's also got a forthcoming manuscript on the Universal Dharma Foundation of Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. So he clearly knows his stuff and is enthusiastic about his topic. Um, so first off, uh, Villa, welcome to the Religious Studies Project. Thank you very much, Chris. Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. So, big questions. We've got a lot to discuss here, but just for anyone who, whether they've seen those adverts for mindfulness apps or whether they've not seen them, what what broadly are we talking about? Just in in a few sentences, what is mindfulness, and then we can dive into the analysis. Well, that is a uh, it's a it's a question worth of a dissertation of its own. But in in short, uh, mindfulness cannot be grasped unless it's tied to some specific context because it's a broad abstract hmm. category and and it has uh, its roots in in the buddhist tradition in the really earliest layer of, of text uh, it discuss mindfulness as part of the noble eightfold path leading to the cessation of suffering and right mindfulness is one part of that path but, but the descriptions of mindfulness are varied. It can be discussed and defined in very specific ways as a ability to keep in mind, keep in mind the object of meditation or in broad, broad way, keep in, keep in mind certain Buddhist perspectives on things. More broadly, it can be just clear, lucid awareness of things, being alert. But since the seventies, especially after nineties, it has become part of medical, therapeutic, mm. psychological vocabulary also. And here, uh, many Buddhist connotations are left aside, and it's more about, you could say, self-regulation of attention with an attitude of acceptance towards 
the present moment experience. So if you look at psychological studies and discussion, that would be the definition. But in, within Buddhism, there are various interpretations depending on the on the hmm. tradition and the viewpoints within the massive family of traditions known as Buddhism. Okay, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that over the next half an hour. Uh, but this incredibly broad topic, uh, what what drew you to it? I mean, you're doing your PhD study on it, so you must be interested. But um, why? How did you get to this point? <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, many strands. Uh, one is a personal interest in meditation for for decades already and and the other is scholarly interest uh, during my BA and MA studies I was always interested in the concept of religion and the interplay between Buddhist traditions and Western culture how Western concept of religion for example changed in the encounters with Buddhist traditions and also how Buddhism changed in the exchange with Western philosophies natural sciences and and so it has the influences have gone both ways. And thinking about the PhD topic, I wanted to have some relevance in the society we live. Mm. And I was seeing that when these mindfulness-based practices, mindfulness-based programs, which are increasingly being uh, used in the mainstream medicine, healthcare, education, corporate world, I saw that there, there will be discussion on the, on the links to Buddhism and the religiosity. And I was seeing that it's it's one thing, especially fin- in Finland, with a with a strong history in in evangelical Lutheran uh, Christianity, there will be some prejudice on practices based on Buddhism and Buddhist meditation, and and a lot of a discussion which is not necessarily based on research, but on opinions mm-hmm. and very very uh, superficial knowledge of things. So I was wondering, maybe a scholar of religion could provide some facts for the discussion. Excellent. So there are a lot of questions that we could ask here, and we'll probably get to some of them now. You know, is mindfulness secular? Is it cultural appropriation? Is it religious? Is it Buddhist? What kind of Buddhist? Which form of mindfulness are we talking about? Um, who is saying what? Why does it matter? So hopefully we'll get to some of those questions, but it'd be good before we get there, if we could talk about the how questions. So you've been interested in this broad topic and some of these questions, but how have you gone about doing that research? I know that in your articles, certainly you've been looking at sort of a specific form of mindfulness. Um, so you might want to tell us about the, the, the individual and the lineage there and, and sort of what are your sources and, and things like that? Yeah. Well, it's, it's really important because, uh, the, the field of mindfulness practice is vast. It, 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 it goes from, from traditional Buddhist practices up to some military interventions where mindfulness based practices are used to train soldiers. Yes, I've heard. So, that. so, so the, uh, so the question, which mindfulness you are talking about, uh, is, is very important. And, and in order to say anything, uh, relevant on the topic. So I, I, I was interested in the, in the interplay between uh, how Buddhist practices are interpreted and recontextualized in, in Western therapeutic secular settings. And in this process, one particular mindfulness based program called mindfulness based stress reduction. It's the bridge builder. It's the first mindfulness based program to be introduced in, in Western secular settings mm-hmm. in, in, in a, as a host, in a hospital, Massachusetts University hospital stress reduction clinic was the place uh, in the end of seventies. And it was based on the work of John Gabatzin, 
who developed the program based on his extensive practice in various Buddhist traditions and, and reading. But he was also a scientist and a PhD from MIT mm. in molecular biology. So he was able to translate certain Buddhist per- perspectives and practices in a language that could be introduced in a hospital setting. And and so this program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction is my focus. And I, I'm interested from two viewpoints. One is a, a textual study of John Gabachin's work, the, the person who developed it, and how he describes the practice and his Buddhist rules and what kind of Buddhist elements can, can be found there and how he describes his own practice history, which traditions were, were relevant. But then also I'm interested in the lived practice, how MBSR is, is taught in Finland. And I did uh, like ethnography, uh, field work, ethnographic fieldwork in, in an MBSR teacher training course for one year, participating in the meeting and recording them and discussing with the, with the teachers. And so I want to see also that what's the difference between a textual representation of the practices and, how, and what's actually happening in the, in yeah. the field itself. And then during the, the, this research process, I also had a chance to do an interview with John Gabachin to, to ask some personal questions and, and to, to go a bit beyond the stuff that's written in the books so that it was really, really valuable and also gave a lot of insight for the, for, for the research. Yeah. yeah, so it sounds like you've got a lot to go on. So let's let's dive in to some of those questions then. So, I mean, I've got a... Uh, one of my undergrad students, Imi, is um, working on a dissertation on mindfulness at the moment, and she was asking, can contemporary mindfulness be considered simply a form of, I guess, Buddhist modernism, she says. So, you know, how is it simply a, a sort of modernized form of Buddhist practice or what's going on? And what would we even mean by Buddhist in that context? So maybe you can use that as a, a springboard into some of your research. Yeah, a really, really interesting question and goes right into the heart of heart of things. So, uh, if you do try to do any comparison between Buddhist mindfulness and contemporary mindfulness, first question is which Buddhism are we talking about? In the variety of traditions, approaches, interpretation, Theravada Buddhism, Mahayana, Vajrayana, and and local geographical areas, and also one very important distinction between traditionalistic interpretations of Buddhist doctrine and practice and then modernistic interpretations. And and in short, the Buddhist modernism is an uh, interplay how Buddhism start change, how Buddhist traditions and and particular Buddhist teachers started to reform Buddhist teachings and practices in an interplay with Western philosophy, with colonial powers, Christian missionaries, and somehow formed a view of Buddhism which was able to argue for being compatible mm. with scientific rational thought. and But at the same time provide meaning that was seen as the field of religion at yeah. the time. And this discourse has continued until our days. There's still a very much uh, often more positive uh, views on Buddhism as somehow, even if, if religions in general are seen in a negative light. Mm. And in this rationalization of, of Buddhist doctrine, many Buddhist teachings were interpreted in the light of psychology instead of cosmology or mm-hmm. metaphysics. And so it's definitely a strand, an ongoing process, which is, has both occurred in Asia and in West. And if you look at the, the tradition that Tiongabatsin practiced in, they are really much 
modernized versions of Buddhism. Yeah. So he practiced Inside Meditation Society, which is a society teaching Theravada-based Vipassana meditation based on certain, especially on certain Burmese meditation lineages. And and then also had a personal practice with, with a Korean Zen teacher and, and was influenced by many publications by, by modern Buddhist teachers. So I think that the Buddhism which influenced these modern mindfulness-based practices was a very modernized version of Buddhist. And, and within these practices, the rationalization and the, the scientific evidence of, of efficacy just went even like much more further. So in a way, it's the same process which, uh, and, and somehow continuing the process of Buddhist modernism. But whether it's relevant to call them Buddhist anymore, it's a matter of much debate. Mm-hmm. So, cause, cause there are no, there's no Buddhist self-identity anymore. Not only in the programs and in the majority of the practitioners. And no, no Buddhist authorities are referred as a legitimation of, of the practices. It's the legitimacy is based on the scientific research, on the efficacy mm. of certain meditation practices. So there's no straightforward answer Clearly. To, to that, that. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, the Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, um, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they're expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even one pound a month um, by going to patreon.com slash Project RS and subscribing. We know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people in their learning. So if you can help um, either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the PayPal button on our website, it would be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia. But now, back to the episode. It might be helpful just to to take us through perhaps some of the practices and philosophies associated with mindfulness-based stress reduction, just to to give a flavor of exactly what might be involved. But then also you can maybe relate this to where those can be traced to historically whilst you're doing it, perhaps. Trying to keep it short. Yes. Just a couple Uh, of examples. Yeah. But in in very short, MBSR and most of the mindfulness-based practice programs which are derived from MBSR are taught at as eight-week courses. And the main comp- components are, are certain sitting meditation practices. Start with awareness on your breath, awareness of body sensation, awareness of sounds and thought processes, and this kind of open awareness practices of being alert to the present moment experience in all its varieties. But also certain body, body scan meditations. So where you scan the different, keeping the present moment focused on different body parts and going through systematically the, all, all the body areas. And then certain simple yoga movements with the same kind of present moment, mm. a- accepting non-judgmental f- attention. But also certain aspects of, 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 of in, called informal practices that trying to become more aware of, of the automatic reactions that you have on in everyday life 
on encountering people doing in, in your work life, in your in your free time, in your social life, and also paying attention to, to what kind of reactions are linked to the agreeable situations and to those which are not so agreeable, and and observing the the automatic responses and then tendencies and trying to become alert, uh, aware of those mm. and and then slowly perhaps also uh, understanding which one are maybe useful and pragmatic and and which might be not so functional and, and perhaps creating unnecessary distress mm. uh, in in, in various situations so that's the base those are the basic practices in <laughs> in, in short, yes. the the elements are found in many Buddhist medit- meditative traditions. The same focus: how pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral sensation. What kind of reactions do we have, and how our conditioned reactions may be harmful or not harmful, and and con- conducive to, to 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 friendliness and compassion, or to hatred, greed, ignorance. And and these kind of perspectives are found both in both in Buddhist context and in this contemporary mindfulness context. Yeah. So there's a lot of shared ground, uh, and and some argue that the shared ground goes only as far as these uh, psychological processes are are involved. But but if you look a bit deeper into the books, into the discussions, there there are also you could call ontological. Mm. Elements which are not necessarily in any contradiction with our physical, natural, scientific views, but but seeing human beings as part of a larger whole, larger social holes, larger ecological holes, and but and also part of of of, of a larger universe, mm. and these kind of realizations might have a profound impact on your self identity. And also on your ethical behavior, understanding that your my well-being might be very much connected to the well-being of my nearest and dearest, but also my work communities and and also the ecological side of it. It's quite obvious that we like fresh air and clean water, and not the other way around. Hmm. So, so the meditation practice may, for some, have more ethical, ontological sides to it and it it can be more a part of self-identity i would i would use the word existential practice yeah but for others it may be also only a way to come to terms with chronic pain mm. or migraine or after a knee surgery how to deal with the constant pain that's the function of meditation practice so it's it's there's a wide variety exactly and and depending on the interpretation some interpretation might come more close to buddhist or existential, or spiritual, or Not all of these yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, uh, and for some, it's clearly medical therapeutic practice, mm. and that's the end of it. Mm. So I'm very cautious of giving any fixed labels on mindfulness practice, and that's one finding and something that I want to bring into the discussions always when there's a discussion on mind- on mindfulness practices. So. That it's not the un- it's in the, not the unitary phenomenon. It's not Absolutely. monolithic. Sticking with the, the Buddhist interpretation, or seeing it, uh, it seems to be the predominant interpretation has been that it, it's come directly through Theravada Buddhism, and you know you, you would challenge that. But, but what, why is there that interpretation that is uh, you know largely a Theravada practice? Yeah, um, that, that's one one more specific finding, a, a topic I discuss in, in both of my. Articles that there's a there's a dominant narrative of of 
that, that contemporary mindfulness practices are, are, are mainly based on, on Theravada Buddhist vipassana practices. And especially in, in, in the, in, in the modern form linked to, to, to particular Burmese vipassana traditions of, of dating back to Lady Sayadab, Uba King, uh, or the lineage of Mahasi Sayadab. And, and, and his students. And these are the lineages that were very, very influential for the Inside Meditation Society teachers, Joseph Goldstein, Jack Cornfield, from whom Kabat-Zinn learned meditation. But these interpretations neglect that, that Kabat-Zinn was also a, a Zen student in training for years and was very much influenced on Mahayana Buddhist ideas. And why is this important? If we pick certain Buddhist sources, texts, modern teachers. And if you compare those texts and teachings to the contemporary forms of mindfulness, it's easy to create a picture where they, they seem very separate. Mm. The objectives of practice and the forms of practice. And so you can easily make an argument that contemporary mindfulness is anything but Buddhist it can be antithesis of, of, of Buddhism by, by picking up certain sources, Buddhist yeah. sources. But if you pick another sources, the image is very different and the practices are much more connected and, uh, and there's a continuity. And especially if you pick sources from Mahayana Zen and a modernized interpretation of Zen practice, as in the in the book of, of Shinri Suzuki, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which Skabatsin often refers to, or the, the practice of Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, a famous Vietnamese peace activist, poet, monk, mindfulness teacher. So this it's, it's quite important that which traditions actually were relevant in the formation of, of, of mindfulness, if we want to do any comparison on the continuity of ideas and practices. Hmm. So that this is my argument that we need to look more to the Mahayana sources. Absolutely. Yeah. Just thinking, I mean, I know this maybe isn't exactly relevant to the research you've been doing, but in many contexts there'll be debates about, so we have these debates about, is this a religious practice? Is this a secular practice? And I know you would very much, as a sort of critical scholar, want to come down on the line of, it depends who's being asked and what's at stake and why they want it to be what it is. But could you maybe tell us about some of those debates that have happened, maybe specific instances where people have been arguing that it clearly is Buddhist or that it clearly is um, just spiritual or that it's clearly secular? I mean, uh, just maybe give us some examples of those public debates. Now, yeah. well, as a basic outline, there's a, there's a narrative that these in contemporary mindfulness-based programs, meditation is taught independently of, of Buddhism or Buddhist religiosity. And, and what does it mean to be independent from that? That's a question. And in many, many scientific studies focusing on the, on the, on the effects of meditation practice and mindfulness practice, it's usually taken, taken for granted that these are secular practices. Which, which may have 
Buddhist roots or roots in Asian wisdom traditions or something mm. else, but don't have any philosophical or ethical connections to those practices or, or, or to the beliefs of those traditions. So it's very instrumental, uh, kind of a technical view on meditation. Yes. It's about self-regulation and certain attitudes. And of course, this kind of framing opens the doors to bring meditation into mainstream, into public healthcare, to public education, in the schools, in the corporate context, with, in, where Buddhist meditation would never be uh, yeah. appropriate. But but then again, uh, if you look at the, the contents and the text, uh, there's much more from Buddhist traditions than all than only some particular techniques. So some have argued that that it's not possible to do any clear cut uh, separation of of taking only the meditation and leaving everything else aside, and and it, the, the discussion is very much similar to the debates around yoga. And mm. the use of yoga, yes. and and there's been like, like in, in this in the U.S. there's been court cases deciding whether a particular yo- uh, yoga program is appropriate mm-hmm. to be used in public schools, and these similar kind of uh, questions are raised in, uh, in relation to mindfulness-based programs, even though they so far they never went into court yet. But there are, are uh, scholars, usually same scholars, who argue that that yoga should be seen in a religious light, and it, it, the, the public school is not the place for for for, for yoga programs. Usually, mindfulness is is, is seen in the same light, hmm. and it's obvious because they share many things in common, and it's sometimes very difficult to do. A, any clear-cut separation between meditation practice, mindfulness practice, yoga practice. So, so some argue for clear r- religious elements, uh, which, which would close the door that it's not appropriate for public context. But the majority, ma- majority voices that that they are secular in this way that it's appropriate to teach in in public context. But many scholars recently questioned these both views as very simplistic, and and rather see that uh, that. This could be seen as uh, post-secular practices or hybrid practices, which people can uh, see within religious frames, Buddhist frames, or secular frames, and and it can never be determined on the level of whether mindfulness practice is this or that. Mm. We must look into individual mindfulness-based programs, and even within certain mindfulness-based programs, we need to see how a certain individual frames. The meditation practice. Then we can say something meaningful, whether it is Buddhist, religious, secular. But of course, in in the general way, usually if a journalist asks, people want very simple, clear-cut answers, yeah. whether or not. And, and the scholar comes. Well, if you look from this point, it it appears Buddhist. If you look from another point, it appears secular. And so it's not an not, not an easy question to answer. Exactly, but it's a fascinating sort of test case for just demonstrating all of those issues, religious, secular, binary, and hopefully it can help undercut that binary. And, you know, we want to be saying, oh, it it is this or is that, but there are so many other practices that maybe are more familiar in the West that are maybe more connected to, let's say, Christianity, that traditional Westerners will be quite happy to say, oh, that's nothing to do with religion. But it's when this strange, exotic other thing comes in, Mm that decoupling or or acknowledging that fluidity and it being two things at the same time seems to become quite problematic yeah. for people. 
as I often say that we have this uh, this conceptual matrix of systems of classification, and when we encounter things that doesn't fit, hmm. uh, uh, then we must change the the system of classification. And this, in the same way that Buddhist tradition, when it was first encountered in the in the colonial period and in the early Orientalist by the uh, Orientalist scholars, it changed the way religion was seen. And I think at now what's happening in the there are many other related movements practices in the in this uh, therapeutic spiritual uh self-help self-improvement feel that 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 doesn't really fit into in the clear-cut classification of secular religious and there's this often this uh that if it's not clear-cut either or then it's spiritual post-secular yeah. something which is very vague and, and 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 very problematic also because it don't it don't say much on on, on the things that we observe and yeah. i think as you say mindfulness practice is a very good uh, it's a test ground for building hypotheses and and improving our our uh, terminology and concepts relating to this new data empirical data that appears in in in, in current cultural milieus absolutely so just as a final question, you've been telling us a lot about the research that you've been doing. What What's next for you? And maybe what are some of the future directions that you see mindfulness research in general going in? Like, are there sort of big areas where, where research is needed or where you'd like to see research or where you would like to do it? Well, yeah, I think there's, there's still... Uh, uh, a handful in, in 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 doing the dissertation it, itself. So so right now I'm I'm in my own own research. I'm I'm going deeper into the the ethnographic material. If so far I've I've been focusing on on on, on Buddhist texts and 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 the text of Jungabatjin and the mindfulness uh, manuals and source books. So now I'm now I'm I'm, I'm focusing on my ethnographic fieldwork material and looking how. MBSR and mindfulness is taught in in Finland, and and uh, how future MBSR teachers are instructed mm. to become teachers. What 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 elements are emphasized and 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 what elements are possibly left out? So, I hope in the future there will be much more ethnographic focus because the text can tell us only so much. And what's happening in the field itself. It's, it's nuanced. And I, I personally, I hope to have a possibility after the dissertation to work on, on interviewing individual meditation mm. practices within both in Buddhist communities and, and in modern contemporary mindfulness communities and see, uh, the, and the shed light on the, on the variety of interpretation and frames uh, in which meditation can be useful and, and meaningful for mm. individuals. Fantastic. Yes, it could well be that the, the discourses might be quite similar, yet the, the objects populating the discourses are the differences. We shall see. Well, thank you so much, um, Villa, for joining us on the Religious Studies Project. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure. And in 10, 9, 8, 7, coming to, as I approach, 3, 2, 1... You're back in the room. Fantastic. I hope that was a good uh, good just sort of half hour, 40 minutes for you listeners. 
and will you'll find a new sense of of energy and calmness in your day from having listened to our podcast absolutely and uh well you know uh, mindfulness as we've heard there is quite connected to notions of um health and well-being public health corporate health and that sort of thing it's the kind of stuff that we're looking at in implicit religion as well it's it's a real world example of how ideas connected to religious traditions can be there can be contestation as to whether they are identified as religion or not in Mm -hmm. various circumstances and mindfulness has been are people being indoctrinated should it be should church halls be used for it should it be in schools so on and so forth absolutely and taking up that thread next week we've got um david speed speaking with tommy coleman who hasn't done an interview for us for a while because he's been so 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 busy doing publish publications galore and uh, sort of running the rsp behind the scenes so tommy's been speaking with david speed about Religion, non-religion, and public health. So taking on that sort of thread that was throughout that podcast there and putting it into full focus. Absolutely. I don't think we've got anything else particularly to say. I won't, uh, if I want to say thank you to the Patreon uh, supporters. First thank you. And foremost, uh, especially for allowing us to do things like having the podcast transcribed, which I know a lot of people find very useful for teaching and for various other reasons. So thank you so much. Do consider becoming a Patreon supporter. We have special material exclusively for supporters, including Discourse, which is now up to six or seven episodes. We're producing one of those every month around the world. It's not just Chris and I talking. And Are You My Data, which are very special interviews. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was a clue um, who the next Are You My Data is going to be in what David just said. It's pretty special. Oh, yeah. It's a special thing. Mm. Something deemed special. Um, so from two special things to all the special things um, at the end of the uh, microphone. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The RSP is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish Charitable Incorporated Organisation, charity number SCO 47750. Brought to you by founders and editors-in-chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson and our managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett and our opportunities digest by Ella Bock. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock with audio editing by Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop. Don't forget you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.